You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey Dave, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Nick. How are you? Fantastic. Friday, sun is shining, and we've got a great guest today, so I'm excited about that. Yeah. So we have Dr. Darla Bishop coming to us. I believe you're from in the Lansing area now, is that right? Yes, I am live from Delta Township, technically, but I've got a Lansing address. Ah, perfect. We are Delta Township company as well. So we're probably right next door to each other and don't even realize it. But uh, we're excited to have Darla on today. We, uh, She has recently written a book that's going to be released in the next 40 days or so. Did I get that right? That's right. December 12th, 1212. Awesome. December 12th, just in time for Christmas. I know Dave was looking for some presents to buy his family, so this is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Darla, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book and why you chose to uh, write a book on personal finance? Oh, yes. First off, I have to say thank you so much for having me on the show. But Amy introduced me to you all and have listened to a few episodes and you guys put out some great stuff. So I'm excited to be part of the guests. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. I wrote a book called How to Afford Everything. And the book comes out in December. We are accepting pre-orders now. So if you're thinking about it and want to get a couple of presents off of your holiday shopping list, you can go and order it right now today if you'd like. But I wrote the book because in working on my own finances over the last you know, 20 years, <laughs> I have read more than I think my last count was 108 financial literacy books. Of those 108, there were only about seven and a half that I think did a good job of helping folks who had a lot of competing priorities figure out the right Mm -hmm. order. Mm -hmm. What I found in, you know, giving mostly solicited advice from friends and family (laughs) and coworkers is that we're managing lots of things, right? We're managing our careers and sometimes the salary negotiations that come along with that. We're thinking about our parents as they get older, where many of us are raising children and trying to think about whether they will go to college and what we want to contribute to that. A whole lot of us are paying off student loans, some more than others, and we're saving for retirement. And when things are tighter than normal, not necessarily having a good decision tree on what's okay to pause, what's important to prioritize. And so I've made this book very practical with actually a lot of worksheets. I'm interested to hear the feedback as folks get it, whether they love that I put so many worksheets on it or feel like, you know, Mm -hmm. I cheated them out of some pages. (laughs) Um, Because I wanted this to be real life practical advice for people who know that they could do their money better but just aren't exactly Mm. sure how. I'm curious how you started on this journey of reading 108 some personal finance books. I think most of our listeners would feel like that's some sort of unnecessary torture. (laughs) Well, for the record, this has been over more than 20 years. So this isn't something I did in the last week, but it started (laughs) because I went to the University of Michigan, Go Blue for college. And I remember my family being so proud of me and so happy for me to go to college, but having no ability to help me, right? Like being like, we know you'll figure it out. You have your scholarship, just keep your grades up. It'll be fine. And going to college, being dropped off by my cousin who 
was the only person in the family because we kind of called all around who can take Darla to college, who has a car good enough to make it to Ann Arbor wow. and back. Right. And, but her, and her saying, we have to leave by this time because I have to be back to Detroit to go to work because she was working a kind of a new job, which is what allowed her to lease the car that was good enough to drive me to Ann Arbor. And her being like, so proud of you. Gotta go. Love you. Whereas my roommate at the time had her both of her parents with us. They took us to dinner. They took us shopping at Meyer, which as an out-of-state student, was a big deal for her and her family. They were in a hotel room all week. They offered to buy my books, which at that time was like $400 because I had a bunch of those big, heavy textbooks. And because they were like, oh, we noticed you didn't buy any books when we went to the the bookstore. And I was like, yeah, I'm a scholarship student. I'll get them later. And they're like, we know you're good for it. We'll buy it. And I was like, oh, no, like I can't accept that kind of gift from you. (laughs) I mean, I accepted the Diet Coke and the feminine products when we went to Meyer, but books, that feels like too much. Yeah, draw the line. (laughs) And so when her, yeah, when her, and so when her parents left, I remember trying to ask my roommate, so what do your parents do for a living? Because in my brain, if you have enough money to, spend a week in a hotel, have a rental car. They had plane tickets and football game tickets and offered to spend hundreds of dollars on my books. And I heard them, I overheard them talking about writing a check for her tuition. I'm like, whoa, these people must be really wealthy. I bet her dad's like the president of a company or he must be a Mm -hmm. doctor. And she said, oh, I don't know. My, My mom kind of works at the church, but I don't know if she works there or if she volunteers there. She just started doing that when my brother went to college two years ago. So in my brain, I'm like, wait, so these people have two kids in college and the mom maybe works. And the dad was a pharmacist, but worked as a manager. A manager. I expected her to say CEO, vice president. Right. Are you sure he's not like a, a vice president or something? She's like, no, no, he's a manager. He's been a manager a long time, but he's a manager. And I'm like, okay. So she can't tell me why she's not poor. The same reasons I can't tell her why 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 I am poor, oh, but I, I can figure it out because reading Rainbow when I was a kid told me if you ever want to learn something, look in a book. So I went yep. and found books. I think one of the first books I read was a Susie Orman book, and then okay, I think the yeah. second one I read was because she was getting popular around that time was a book by Michelle Singletary, who used to have a, a financial column in the Washington Post. And then, you know, personal finance for dummies and all types of things over the last 20 years, because I was like, well, the other 18 year olds don't know what they're doing, just like I don't. But if I read by the time I get out of college, I will know something. And I had this golden ticket because I was a scholarship student where before I went to college, I had fully anticipated that I would be a working college student, working two or three jobs at a time. So not only mm-hmm. pay for my own expenses, but probably to send a little money home. And having a scholarship completely changed that. It meant that I could work or I couldn't. It meant that I could mm-hmm. join clubs and be active on campus versus being at work all the time. And so I kind of did an experiment. Like, what would it be like if I just like was an 18 year old who was a first year college student and maybe worked a work study mm-hmm. job 10 hours a week and that's it? I really, I really like that story, Darla, because to me, it it speaks about taking ownership of the situation and not, not being stuck in the myths or in the, this is her situation. This is my situation. And that can't change. Instead, it was, how do I change? How do I, how do I change this trajectory? I really like that. 
how do you how do you go from there to to writing writing your own book on the topic? Over the years, I have worked multiple jobs because that was the way that I was able to pull myself out of the situation I grew up in, right? I figured out pretty early on that the adults around me were actually doing even more than they probably should have been able to based on how much money they had coming in and out. Mm. And so the way that I could make the difference for myself is I was like, well, I got to make more money because I need money for today in order to cover my expenses and to also feel comfortable because feeling comfortable with money is something I had to really practice. But I also needed money for the past because of, you know, maybe decisions the adults around me made growing up or because I wanted to make sure that I was still sending resources home to my younger siblings or to my family members. But I also needed money for the future in order to prevent myself from going into debt or more debt, right? Because if an emergency came up, so I didn't swipe a credit card or try to get a loan, Mm -hmm. if I had an emergency fund or some money saved, then that would help me even things out. And once I figured out that number, like how much I would need to satisfy today's needs, take care of any past obligations, whether that was debt or things that I wanted to help still help my family with from Ann Arbor, and also put some money in the bank so that I wouldn't have to rely on debt going forward when a small thing came up. I figured out how much money that was. And I said, okay, well, I got it. I'm missing $300 a week. How do I go make that $300 a week? So I started teaching a class at U of M Flint because I had the education that allowed me to do that. And I worked at a restaurant three or four nights a week, depending on how good and how busy it was. And that's what helped me make that $300 extra a week I needed to fully cover the past, present, and future money that I needed to stabilize my own finance. And in working all those jobs, people kind of noticed like, oh, well, you seem to be pretty good with money. Because I tell them, oh, well, I have to work tomorrow because I need 72 more dollars this week. And they'd be like, that's a very specific number. I was like, oh, because I have a budget. Right. And because I have a budget and for my budget to work this week, I need 72 more dollars. And they'd be like, "Okay, well, you can have my shift if you really want it. Like, great, because your (laughs) shift is a good shift. I know I'll make my 72 (laughs) dollars. And because people kind of notice like, well, you seem to be good at your budgeting. You know, would you look at my budgeting or I just got a new job? Can you help me look at the job offer? Am I missing anything? Or I don't know anything about this retirement account that they told me I should sign up for. Can you help me understand how I should sign up for it? And because I'd read so many books, I was like, oh, well, this book said this, this book said this, because of what you told me about what matters in Mm -hmm. your situation, I'd listen to the first book based on what Mm -hmm. you told me your goals were, what's important to you. And then Mm -hmm. over the last probably 10 years, I've had mentees, friends, relatives who we've done this really informal kind of like, oh, we'll call Darla because she knows this stuff. Sure. Um, Coaching. And people kind of said, you should write a book. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. And over the Mm -hmm. summer, I said, you know what? I'm getting to it. I'm going to write it. That's great. So I know, obviously, with writing your book and and budgeting and all the budgeting that you've done, but one of the things that you talked about that I think is extremely difficult for a lot of people, and that is prioritizing. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what advice do you give on people when you have multiple competing, conflicting things for your resources? How do you help walk people through figuring out which one makes the most sense for them? Because it's not always black and white, plain vanilla, right? That's right. And what what I figure out when I've talked to multiple people who've been in that situation 
is because it's been so stressful over some period of time, maybe a few weeks, over a few months, maybe even a few years, that they haven't taken the time and probably because they haven't had the energy or the guts to truly look at their financial situation, right? They're just kind of feel like they're swimming, treading water and haven't asked for help until this point because they thought maybe someone's going to tell them they needed to budget more or spend less money and they can't imagine even how they would do that. And so the approach I take is, first of all, like, look, we're going to write down every cent that you owe to, to anyone, whether it's a traditional debt, a credit card, a loan, a student loan, your mom, your cousin, your coworker who loaned you $10 for gas money. We're going to write everything down and it's going to hurt a little bit at first. But guess what? Once we put it on paper, we take away its power because now we can do something about it. So we got to get over that first hurdle. And then we're going to write down every piece of money, every cent that comes through your door. And if there is a difference between the money that goes out and the money that comes in, we got to figure out where we can cut or my personal favorite, where we can increase. Now, when you're young, you're single, or you have really, really good childcare, then this is a little bit easier, right? You can pick up a side gig, you can do freelance work, you can pick up a second or third job. But if you don't have good childcare, you already have children, you have to be a little bit more creative about how to bring more money in to the household. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. but it's about first, the first step is we got to actually write your stuff down and look at it. Mm-hmm. And I know yeah. it's it's scary and I know it's going to stress you out, but I promise you as soon as we, and we can't, and I actually tell people, I said, we can't put it on a computer. We can't use an iPad. We can't use a tablet. We can't put it on your phone. Mm-hmm. We got to use good old pencil and paper because by you that. physically writing it, it will release the power from it so we can do something mm-hmm. about it. Nick, we've yeah. met, a, met a fellow uh, budget evangelist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, budget is not is one of my chapters. I, I have in big bold letters, or well, I haven't, we haven't finished formatting, but I told them put this part in big bold sure. letters. Budget is not a bad word. You know, folks, <laughs> especially if they feel like they haven't had enough and so they already feel a little tight, they're like, a budget is just going to restrict me. Or, no, 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 no. A budget is your yes list. A budget allows yes. you to know what you can say yes to and what things maybe you should say no to or maybe later. Nick and I always tell people that, uh, you know, show us your budget and we know your priorities. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, you get it down on paper and you can't avoid the fact that, you know, your cell phone bill and your cable bill, you've prioritized more than maybe some things that uh, need to be a little higher on the uh, hierarchy yeah. there. Well, I yeah, think you're absolutely great. right, Darla, when it comes to when you write it down, then all of a sudden you're taking back control of your priorities instead of letting society or whatever you signed up for control your priorities, right? And that's such a mm-hmm. huge step. And you know, it's like when you talk to people about weight loss, the first thing they tell you to do is write down everything you eat. And just the exercise of doing it has shown to improve people's results in terms of you know how they care about their fitness and their eating habits and things like that. And I think budgeting very similar like you're talking about. That's right. Exercise of writing it down can be helpful. So I'm curious, you've been on this 20-year journey. What, and I, and I believe that you do some teaching for younger high school, middle school age kids, if I'm not mistaken. So what advice that, and your 20 years of figuring this out, <laughs> what advice would you give yourself at that age? What's the one Ooh. thing you wish you knew back then that yeah. maybe you've learned over the last 20 years? I'd actually have to just speak to my heart 
it'll all work out. It mm-hmm. like that's the first thing I tell myself. If if I could like put a message in a bottle to my younger self, I'd say, look, it'll all work out. I promise. Yeah. Trust it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then the second yeah. thing, something that's slightly more practical, but almost as important as we're as telling young people that it will all work out, is to ask a lot of questions. And if you can't get answers to them, ask other grown-ups, ask other adults, and find a book. There's a book about everything. Now, I might tell you that the internet is really easy to find information, but not everything on the internet is real or accurate or true. If someone went through the trouble of writing it down and getting it printed in a book, it probably has a little bit more weight than something that anyone can just post from their phone on a TikTok or an Instagram. So if you see something that sounded good on social media, see if there's a book that backs it up because then you'll know it's the real deal. Yeah. And to take that a step further, it might be easier to tell with a book if you're the target audience. That's because right. a lot of what I find, and, and, and maybe your experience is different, but that a lot of what is on the internet, it's not that it's wrong. It's just that there's no way for the casual reader to know, hey, are they speaking to me? Or is that for someone else in a completely different situation where hopefully with a book, you'll be able to figure out, hey, is this, is this writer for me or is this for my cousin who's in a different tax bracket. I think that's a, a, a great point. We talk about it a lot of times with investing. A lot of times there's all these different investment advice out there, but usually most of those are for people that are playing a complete, <laughs> completely different game than what you're playing, right? It's a Morgan <laughs> Housel quote. Yeah, so a good one. So I think yeah. that, you know, what I love about your story, Darla, is, you know, you, you, and I, I don't know what you studied exactly at the University of Michigan. My guess is it wasn't personal finance. No, but <laughs> um, but my not for I credit guess, at least. <laughs> right. Well, what's interesting to me is you saw this problem. We've talked about it on this podcast before. There's a lack of personal finance education in this country. And yes. you saw that as a problem. And instead of just saying, oh, well, I guess I'll just figure it out as I go, you made that intentional step to you know, actually educate yourself on that, uh, which I think is huge. I think you know, a lot of times when we see clients, you know, they have similar thoughts about it, but instead of going out and educating themselves, they just kind of you know, turtle shell and stick their head in the sand and hope it all kind of plays itself out. So, you know, I I think that's kudos to you for being able to do that. I get it, right? Because money is one of those things that should be simple, right? It's like, okay, so it's some simple math, plus minus maybe some division. You know, it's a tool that we use. We trade it. We trade our time for it in most situations. And then we trade the money for the things we need to live, Mm -hmm. right? Like it should should be simple if you look at it that way. But we get all of these messages, rules, Mm-hmm. feelings tied up with money based on how we saw the people around us yeah. use it, not use it. And then with media, even not even thinking just about social media, but even television shows and movies, how money is used in those settings really shape how we think and how we feel mm-hmm. about it. And yeah. most of us, I mean, I'll, I'll share, I've had hundreds of hours of therapy <laughs> with various therapists who've, mm-hmm. who've taught me how to think through things and to dissect why I feel a certain way and why I think about something and like what maybe happened in my life in an earlier stage that made me feel this way about this thing. But most people haven't had Mm -hmm. the benefit of that. And so like, I get why you would say, "Mm, I don't know so much about that. So it'll work out. (laughs) I'll just, I'll just just hide over here and it'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah. 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 
But I mean, you make a, gr- a couple of great points there. And, and one of the things that struck me as you were talking about that is, you know, it's a smaller growing segment. There are a small group of them, but there's not a lot of financial therapy, mm-hmm. not a lot of financial therapists. And that's, an, an, you know, another huge need that we have. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, I was reading a book the other day about the messages that we get through TV and there's this whole, I don't know if it's Reddit or one of those like chat streams where they could go through and they like actually do the math on like, okay, how do these people with the jobs that they have in New York city on friends afford these apartments and these (laughs) lifestyles? Yeah. Yeah. We just, and then, you know, the unseen message that we get from that is, Oh, well they can do it. I can do it on a, you know, crappy job as a failing actor or whatever it is and still have this nice house and be able to go out and have coffee every day. So I think that's so true in terms of the messages that we're getting versus what's actually reality. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, the piece that compl- complicates it is just like sex education, parents aren't trained on how to talk about money. And so we, we do, I'm a parent, I have young kids, so we kind of do it by trial and error. And if we think we didn't have a great example, then we, we, we might say, well, I'm not going to do what my mom and dad did, but that doesn't mean we know the right thing to do. We just know the thing we don't want to do. Right. But that leaves a whole spectrum of things that we could still be getting really wrong. And so in the, the people you learn the most from, whether you admit it or not, are the folks you live with. Right. And so if your parents Mm -hmm. don't know how to talk about money or use money or realize that they're showing you how money works by their day to day actions, then how else would you know? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Well, it's so interesting. We work with a lot of people and a lot of families and one kid can take that early message one way and the other one can take it completely opposite. Completely and more often different than outcomes. not, that's what happens, right? Yeah. So I think I, I find that stuff super interesting. I'd like to go back to one of the points that you made about just finances in general. And like it from a math standpoint, it's pretty easy math, right? You would think it would be very easy. The problem is all of the emotions that come into it. And, you know, and, and I, I bring this up quite frequently on our podcasts, and that is if it was just a math problem, we'd all be living in cardboard boxes with multi-million dollar investment accounts. And we joked the last podcast that they were going to print that on my tombstone. Yes. Um, but it, it's just, it rings so true. Like the math is simple, but the emotional part of it is very complex and money is a super emotional thing. And so, you know, it, it's, you know, when you were talking about budgets, when we're talking about priority, what we're really talking about is emotional and what you want to get out of life. And money is a resource to that and being able to, you know, being able to make sure that you can conquer the emotional part is more important than just the math part of it. Right. That's right. Because we all, we're all walking around with calculators in our pockets now. So the math part is actually pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and one of the things we talked about earlier in the show, you said, well, what kind of, you know, got you to read 108 books? Well, I was motivated by our lifestyle growing up. I remember thinking mm-hmm. when we'd have these small little things that should have been small little things end up being big mm-hmm. things like a car repair that messed things up for a whole month or you know, a missed utility bill that caused all kind of havoc or a missed work shift that messed up something. I remember thinking like, my parents are not irresponsible people. They're actually like really Mm. good stewards of what they have. They just Mm -hmm. don't have enough. And so if we had just a little more money, we wouldn't have some of these problems we have, or we'd be able to solve them like that because 
the grownups around me were super smart, were super resourceful. They just didn't have enough. And so I remember going to college and seeing all these people whose parents and who themselves in some ways had enough. And I was like, oh, okay, I can learn it. I'm, I'm here just like they are. And I don't know what I can teach them, but I can learn some stuff from how they operate. Plus, if they can't mm. tell me, I can get it backed up by it by a book. So even the emotional part is what drove me to read 108 books. Because like you said, who would choose to read 108 <laughs> financial literacy books? It's because I was driven. I was like, I got to figure this out. I want yeah. a better life. I want to not have the same stress. I want to have different stresses. I want to have stresses of like, oh, which club will we swim at today? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, oh, they didn't have my favorite caviar, so I'll switch it different. And I realized that those are super yeah. silly examples. But again, I was 18 when I started on this journey. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> Darla, other than your own book, out of the 108 personal finance books out there, what's, what's the one that you think you got the most out of? Okay, I have to tell you three, actually, because they are from okay. different stages of life. Better. Is that okay? Okay, so these oh, are not in order. Yep. This is not in order because these are about stage of life. So I really love Total Money Makeover from Dave Ramsey. And the mm-hmm. reason that one is good is because that's one of the books that actually does do a good job of giving you how to prioritize. Those baby steps, man, he did something right with yeah. those baby steps. Even though I don't think Dave Ramley gets everything right about life insurance and about debt, the the fact that he tells you start here, then this, then this, and if something happens in between, here's how you readjust and then you go back and you start over. That is so powerful for someone who who doesn't have any framework or has really bad examples that they're working from. So that's that one. I, I like that. Yep. Yeah, you like that one? Mm-hmm. Well, I, 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 I like, I agree with your, with your assessment. I don't like everything and by all of uh, what Dave Ramsey says, but his framework for thinking about prioritization, I think you put that exactly right. That's a good, mm-hmm. good starting point. So it's really helpful for someone who just doesn't know what they're doing. The other book is that I love that isn't actually a financial literacy book per se, but it talks about money and career. And because career is how most of us earn our money, it it counts. Mm -hmm. And this one's called Secrets of the Six-Figure Woman. Now, it's written by a woman. Target audience is is women. But folks, anyone can get from this. And what I like about it is she helps you to understand why it's so important for you to understand how you're using your time, because that also drives how you use your money and how you design your life. And that if there are pain points in your life as a professional woman, again, because that's how the perspective she's writing from and to, here are some ways to release some of those stresses or friction. And that's super helpful for folks who, who are like me, who like all the folks in my life, although they all worked, they had, you know, retail jobs, factory jobs. And so as someone who's managing a career in a very different way than the grownups I watched, are managing a career, I needed some help mm-hmm. to understand what that balance looked like, right? Like my mom worked as a professional for most of my childhood, but she never really brought work home. Every once in a while, she'd kind of bring a binder home that maybe she needed to fix some notes on. But mm-hmm. I carry around a cell phone for my work and my work is always available for me to do. Yes. And so right. understanding mm-hmm. like how to manage that without feeling like, I'm not doing too much or not enough. 
but also earning my money and 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 being a, having some balance as a professional person. So mm-hmm. I, that's one of my favorite books that I recommend Great. to lots and lots of people. Awesome. Before I tell you my third, what would you say? What's one book that you like? Oh, again, it, it can be it can be a bit nebulous because it depends on whom I to whom I'm making the recommendation. I Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. I've read twice now. I think it's fantastic for most people and hits on a lot of the things that I think trip people up in that that we deal with, Darla, which is maybe a different audience than what you normally deal with. I'm rereading The Millionaire Next Door now for the um mm-hmm. Well, some of it I've read two other times. I think that that, like I've asked, I've given that to my kids and told them, you know, this is, this is a good framework for how to think about consumerism and your money. So those are my two. Mm-hmm. How about you, Nick? Um, I would say I'm a big uh, George Kinder fan. So Life Planning for You is one that he wrote more consumer facing. Love that one. Also a big fan of Morgan Housel's Psychology of Money. I thought that one was great too. So, so since David already said Millionaire Next Door, which is absolutely in my top five, I will instead offer Soul of Money. And this was written by a yes, philanthropist. The Soul yes. of Money, written by a mm-hmm. philanthropist. And what I think this one does so well is she helps you to understand that money has energy to it and that where mm-hmm. you put it and where it comes from, where it comes from matters, especially mm-hmm. as you are trying to have a certain relationship with money. And it's weird to say relationship with money. Why would I have relationship? Oh, believe me, you are in relationship with money, whether you believe it or not. And so- Whether you have it or not. (laughs) Right, you are in relationship with money. And so this one, I think, helps you to peel back the layers of what a relationship with money means and how you can shift it if that's what you want to do. Mm Mm-hmm. But we can't, that was that a good list. Is, we just got to put that in the show notes. That's a good list. Yeah. That is yeah. a good list. That one is on my list as well. I have not yeah. read that we one. We did a podcast yeah. recording about that book not too long ago, but I just love the way she thinks about money and, and coming from the philanthropy side, it just made a ton of sense to me. And you're right. You know, I love how she talks about money, how money flows and, you know, and making sure you continue to help it flow is that much better for you. So big fan of That's that. That's right. Book. So I hope that w- the next next year when you ask someone, they'll say, oh, how to afford everything by Darla Bishop. Talk That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which we should probably uh, let people know where to find your book on December yes. 12th. Where do we find, where do they find that book? Where do they find out more about you, Darla? And what's next for you? So the easiest way is go to my website, darlabishop.com. And you can learn all about me, about some of the workshops that I have. The worksheets Great. from the book will be there soon. And you can pre-order the book right now. So darlabishop.com is the easiest place to find me. Awesome. That's that. nice. That's easy. So now that your book's coming out, what is next for you? You can take a, you can take a break for a while. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll sell a lot of books and get the message out mm-hmm. and help a lot of people shift their relationship with money and I'll get emails and and tweets and whatever else people use to say, you know, I learned something from what you wrote or from what you said on that podcast. And, you know, I'll have lots and lots of 
friends and families and around me who will be in a better place so we can go to dinner and not and fight over the check because we all have. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> good goals. Good goals. Yeah. But no, that. I haven't. You know what's so funny? When over the summer, when I decided, you know what? I am going to write the book that I've been talking about, that I've outlined, that I've said I wanted to do for years and years. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. I didn't think this far ahead. Like, what would I do after? I, I was like, nope, I'm just going to get the book out. And then I'm going to yeah, talk about the yeah. book and then yeah. I'll tell people to buy it and then I'll tell people to read it. <laughs> and so that's yeah. where we are. We're, we're at the tell people to buy it and tell people to read it book. <laughs> Part of the. Love it. Very fair. Excited to uh, see it when it comes out. I'm going to put it on my reading list for sure. So uh, Darla, we appreciate you being here today. This was fantastic. And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, reading your book and seeing what you do next, even if you haven't thought about it yet. I'm sure it'll be great. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. All right, Dave, as always, it's been a pleasure. It's been and fun. That wraps up thank another you, Darla. episode yep. for us. So check out the show notes for more information on Darla and her book. And we will be back next week. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.